In this lesson, we understand how temptations occur and how to overcome temptations so we as believers can live victorious, overcoming Christian lives. Let's say this out loud and bold, strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am what God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word, I believe His word, and I live by His word. Christ is my master, and to Him I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated, please. We've been going through some very basic things that we're calling foundations, and we're in this in this fourth message of our track one foundations, where we are essentially talking about some very basic things in order to take a believer. And make him or her a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, we've covered several topics in the first three lessons. We talked about the nature of God. We talked about salvation. And then we talked about the assurance of salvation and forgiveness of sins. This morning I want to talk about uh, another area uh, which I think is very important for us. Uh, on overcoming temptation. Now things we're going to hear this morning are not new. You probably heard me preach this probably this almost the same message just about a year ago. The good thing is we forget. <laughs> so I can just repeat the whole thing. Uh, you probably heard me say this, you know, preach this probably a year ago. Uh, and uh, it's part of what we do even in our level ground conferences. You know, some of these things, uh, you could just preach it to any audience. And it just means it, it applies to everyone as God's people. So even this, the same thing we talk to pastors and ministers, just that we address it a, different, a little differently because even pastors and ministers are in, you know, going through the same challenges and struggles. So you probably heard me talk about these things. Um, so bear with me if, you, you, know, if you, can, you can remember the sermon exactly the way I preached it last time. I said, man, he's repeating the same thing. But this is an important subject on overcoming temptation. And as believers, as we move in to becoming disciples of Jesus Christ, and having a strong walk with God, one of the key things we will have to learn and have to have a strategy for is how to overcome temptation and live victoriously in day-to-day life. And that's what this lesson is intended to help us learn. How to overcome temptations we face. Now the fact is, all of us will face temptations. Nobody is exempt. Uh, from facing temptation, no matter how long you've been a believer, no matter what your age is, your gender is, or where you live, or uh, what kind of an environment you are in, we will all face temptations, inducements to sin, inducements to go against the will and purpose of God for our lives. So we'll all face it. You know, if you're in school, well, you've got temptations from your friends, you know, so they want to come, let's go for a drink, come smoke, try it out, man, experiment with this, experiment with that. Uh, you're in, in the workplace, you face other kinds of temptations. And whether it's 
in, in the way you do business, or the way you make your sales, or what you report and what you sold, or uh, in the way you manage your finances. And you'll be uh, tempted all these areas. You will face temptations. Even in the workplace, you will face different kinds of temptations, and we probably will address some of them. Whether you're in Christian ministry, you will face temptations there. So nobody's exempt uh, from this whole area of facing battles that induce us to sin and go contrary to the will of God. But the good news is that as believers, we can depend on what God's given us to overcome temptation. God's not designed us to be bound to temptation. God's empowered us. He's given us the equipping we need to overcome and live victorious lives. Amen? So we must very quickly learn one of the things God's, one of the things God's given to us in the Word and by His Spirit so that I can actually live victorious and live a consistent life of victory. Not just, you know, occasionally during camp time. Yeah, now I live three days I haven't seen, you know. It's not about those kinds of moments. But it's about living a consistent life of victory, overcoming temptation in all areas of life. And I believe each one of us can do it. God's empowered us to do it. He's given us everything we need to live victorious. Amen? Now let's just talk about, you know, where are, what are the three sources of temptation, the three different channels through or sources of temptation that we, you and I will face. One, of course, is temptation in the world. The very fact that we are in a fallen world means we will face temptation. The world around us is not holy. So there are things in this world. The Bible talks about in 1 John 2, 16, 17. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 1 John 2, 15, 16. So in the world, the world has its attractions, things that pull on the desires of the eyes, things that pull on the desires of the flesh, things that, that try to uh, beef up the pride of man. So we face it. It's just being all around us. You drive down the streets, you find things up on the, um, the boards all around you, and you read the newspapers, you watch the television, you, you talk to people the way they and so there are these temptations in the world all around us. But the Bible is very clear for us as believers. It says in James 4.4, 4, he says, you know, James is writing to believers and he says, Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? So as a believer, I can't be compromising in my relationship with this world. There are, there's just there's no way. This is what God has said is, I must separate myself from the sins of this world. And that's very clear. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And James chapter 1 and verse 27 says, pure and undefiled, pure, pure religion is this, that a man keep himself unspotted from the world. So this is the true expression of faith, that we keep ourselves unspotted, untouched, untouched, defiled by the world. So that's one area of temptation. The second area of temptation, of course, is our own flesh. What the Bible uses the term flesh. By flesh we mean ungodly desires 
that our that are inherent in our body and in our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. See, although we are born again, we've become new creatures in Christ. We still live in a body that is accustomed to, sometimes even bound to, the wrong ways of doing things, ungodly desires and passions. And so also in the mind, the emo- our emotions, our appetites, our desires are not all necessarily clean or become clean overnight just because we get saved. So, the second area of temptation is our own flesh. By flesh we mean ungodly desires that are in our body and in our soul. Already there. So even if the devil takes a break, the flesh is faithful to do his job. So the devil's gone. You know, I've gone for prayer. They've driven all the devils out of me. Yeah. But remember, your flesh is still with you. So even if you drive the devil away, you've still got something else to contend with, your own flesh. Another area of temptation. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 16 says, Do not be deceived, my brethren, because God cannot be tempted, neither does he tempt anybody. But every man is tempted when he is drawn by his own desires. And is then enticed, meaning his desire, his own desire weakens his will to resist. Every man is tempted when he's drawn by his own desires and enticed. And when desire is conceived, that means when he yields to it, sin happens. So, it's our own bodily desires that draw us. So look at the process. We're drawn by our own desires. We're enticed, meaning our will is weakened. And then when we yield to that desire, this results in sin. So understand that sometimes we don't have to blame the world. We don't have to blame the devil. We just have to deal with our own ungodly desires in our body and our soul that are pulling us into wrong things. Now having a desire aroused in you itself is not sin. It's yielding to that desire. So sometimes we condemn ourselves. Many men, I felt like this. Or I felt like that. Look, feelings will come. It's probably the response of your body or your soul. Just because you felt something that was not right doesn't mean you sinned. You sinned when you yielded to that. So just, be, just for us to understand that just those bodily evil desires in our body or our soul itself is not sin, but when it conceives, when you yield to it, that's when you and I have sin. The third area of temptation, of course, is directly by the devil himself. The Bible tells us in several places, Matthew 4, 3, and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5, Satan is called the tempter. That's one of his jobs. That's one of the things he does. He comes to tempt us. One of his assignments against you and me is to try to get you off the right path and do things that are wrong, that are displeasing to God. He's a tempter. That's what he does. And he tempts us in these three realms. That's the way he tempted Eve. It says, you know, when the devil came as a form of a serpent and spoke to Eve, and she looked at it. She looked at the fruit. The Bible says he saw that it was good for food, it was pleasing to the eye, and it was desirable to gain wisdom. 
Same three realms, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So the enemy also presents his temptations in these three target areas of our lives. Things that will appeal to our eyes, things that will appeal to our bodily appetites or the flesh, and things that will uh, try to boost our own pride, that our own dependence on self rather than dependence on God. And Satan's primary strategy in order to tempt us is deception. That's how he came to Eve. He said, you know, did God really say? It's not that Eve didn't know what God said. She was very clear. Adam and Eve are very clear on what God said. But his approach is, did God really say? Did he really mean that? No, 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 he didn't mean that. Not especially for you. Not especially for you in this situation. So that's how he plays upon the truth. You might know the truth, but the enemy knows the truth too. And this strategy is to cause you to question the truth. To cause you to twist and twirl around the truth. That's deception. So his primary tactic for us is deception. Try to rob us of the truth or keep us in the dark believing a lie. That's why in several places, 2 Corinthians 11.3 and Revelation 12.9, Satan is called the deceiver. Just as Satan deceived Eve. What did he do? He deceived her. He got her to question the truth. And so, you know, many times, although we have heard the truth, in that moment of temptation, there's a little thought that makes you question the truth you've heard. That's deception. That's how he uh, gets us to get in. To temptation. Now, if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus walked as a man in all forms. He was he he confined himself to a human body, just like you and me. And he walked as a man. And as a man, he faced temptations. And the Bible says that as a man, he overcame temptations using the same tools that are available for you and me. In Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11, you and I are familiar with this. We see the three temptations of Jesus recorded for us. That does not mean these were the only temptations he faced. These are the ones that are recorded for us. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. You know how Jesus, after having fasted 40 days, was in the wilderness. Satan comes to him and he says, if you are the son of God, you know, command these stones to be, stones to be made bread. The Bible says he takes him up to a high mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he says, I will give all this glory to you if you will bow down and worship me. The Bible also says, then he took Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple. He says, you jump down from here because the Bible says, and he will give his angels charge over you to hold you up and uh, you won't get hurt. So three temptations Jesus faced and he overcame all of them. Hebrews 4 and verse 15 says that Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are and was without sin. So Jesus was tempted in all areas just the way you and I are tempted and yet he was without sin. Now how are you and I tempted? Not by the devil physically appearing to us. Not by the devil physically pushing us around and taking us down into the bar and saying, now drink, taste and see. <laughs> now, these temptations come to us in the area of the mind. 
Jesus was in the wilderness. So he was not physically transported to a high mountain. And even if you get up to a high mountain, tell me on which mountain can you stand that you could see all the kingdoms of the world? Jesus was in the wilderness. He was not physically taken up to the top of the temple. I mean, how would he climb up there anyway? They didn't have escalators. So, these temptations that Jesus faced was in the area of the mind. They came as pictures, imaginations. And along with those imaginations came thoughts saying, make the stones bread. Just worship me, all this will be yours. Or just jump from there, the angels will hold you and all the people will go, wow. So, the temptations you and I face, we must understand, come to us in the area of the Mind. How does Satan tempt you? Through thoughts, imaginations, arguments, and reasonings that intercept your normal thought process. So if you and I are not careful to detect those thoughts, those arguments, those reasonings, those pictures, those imaginations, and recognize them that they are actually darts from the enemy, and then learn how to put them down, we will be very vulnerable. We as you, maybe just me. No, maybe it's not you. It's a devil intercepting your thought process with his thoughts. And he did recognize that. That's not me. I don't want to think like that. Amen? It's important for us to understand That the enemy's primary way of attacking us and presenting his temptations to us is in the area of the mind. He attacks us this way through thoughts and ideas and reasonings and arguments and imaginations and pictures that come to us in the mind. Now if we take that and believe that, we get deceived. We we begin to think wrong and, and begin to do things wrong. But if you resist and recognize that those thoughts are not from God, those are not my thoughts, but I'm rejecting it, I'm putting it down, I'm refusing it, we've we've made a stop to that process of temptation at its very beginning. Amen? The good thing is that Jesus overcame every temptation, and Hebrews 2 and verse 18 says that he is there to aid those who are being tempted. The Lord Jesus is there to assist you and me, to strengthen you and me and overcome temptation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 6, we can overcome temptation and live victoriously. We must know that. God is not calling you and me to a life of subjection to temptation. God has not ordained for any one of us, his people, to live enslaved by any form of temptation. We can live victoriously. The Bible tells us so clearly in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13. It says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, there is no temptation taken you but what is common to man. Meaning, you're not facing anything unusual. Everybody faces the same thing. Now, you might find yourself in a very unusual situation, but remember, there are several other people around the world, believers, who have probably been in the same situation or a similar situation. So there is no temptation that, that, that has befallen you, 
which is not common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not permit you, will not allow you to be tempted beyond that what you're able. But will with the temptation make a way of escape. That you may be able to endure it, come through it victorious. So you need to understand that you can be victorious over every temptation you will face. Start from that point of view. That I'm going to overcome. I don't have to be enslaved for the rest of my life. I'm going to win. It begins with the reality of God inside you. God has given you a new nature. The nature inside you does not want to sin. You are a new creation, the Bible says. The Bible says that this new person inside you is created in the image of God, in righteousness and true holiness. The Bible says that you are partaker of a divine nature. And therefore, you can escape the corruption, the moral depravity that's in the world because of lust. That's in Ephesians 4, 23, 24, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 and 4. It says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You're born of God and you will overcome. So you begin with that understanding. Look, I may be enslaved right now. At this moment, I may be struggling in certain areas. But the reality is this. Inside me, I have the nature of God. I have the capacity to live like a live in righteousness and true holiness. You begin with that understanding. Amen? Yes, your body and your mind, there may be things, affections that are holding you, that are, that, that are sinful and so on. But the way to live victorious is begin with the understanding, I am a partaker of divine nature. I'm not intended... To live in sin. I've been born again. To be an overcomer. Amen. We begin with that understanding. And then we must realize. That God has given us weapons to overcome. Second Corinthians 10. 3-6. And all these are very familiar scriptures. It says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. We cast down imaginations and arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So God's given you and me weapons to deal with all these things that the enemy may throw against us in the realm of the mind. All the thoughts, all the imaginations, all the arguments, all the reasonings. God's given us weapons. And if we take those weapons and fight, we will come through to a place of consistent Victory. But if you and I don't use the weapons, then what more can God do? Amen? So understand, you are born again. You have the, you're a partaker of divine nature. You've got the life and the nature of God in you. The nature inside you is not something that wants to sin, but the nature inside you is something that wants to walk in righteousness and true holiness. See, in Christendom, many people make excuses saying, you know, I have a sinful nature, therefore I sin, and I will continue to sin. And that's a wrong understanding. The Bible is so clear. You are a partaker of divine nature. The Bible is so clear. You're a new creation. 
So you do not have a sinful nature. Yes, you have a flesh and a soul that needs to be dealt with. But in your spirit, you are a partaker of the divine nature of God. And the reason it's been put there in you is so that you can walk in righteousness and true holiness. So we need to get rid of any excuse. Because whatever you tolerate will dominate. So the moment you make excuses and you have a theology of tolerance, you will always remain in bondage. But the moment you understand the truth, the truth that says you are a partaker of divine nature and therefore you do not need to tolerate sin in your life, you will begin to take steps into victorious living. So essentially for us believers, we must learn to crucify the flesh and renew the mind. The key, therefore, to walking this consistent life of victory over temptation is to always continuously crucify the flesh and keep our mind renewed. It's an ongoing thing. I can never say, you know, I've crucified, crucified my flesh enough because you crucified it yesterday, it might resurrect today. So you've got to keep it consistently crucified. As long as you're in this body, till the moment you lose your breath, You've got to keep your body crucified. And the same thing with your mind. You've got to keep it renewed to the Word of God, meaning programmed, 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 programmed to the Word. You say, why do I need to do it all, all the time? Why can't I do it just once? Because even if you do it once, the next day you're going back to the world and you're facing all the thoughts, all the reasonings, all the arguments of the world, which can then contaminate your mind once again. And your thought processes get affected. You begin, if you're not careful, you begin to think like the world instead of thinking like God. And you bring that into the church. And you say, okay, the world says it's okay, so let's the church say okay. No, 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 no. The church has to say what the word of God says, not what the world says. Amen? So renewing the mind is an ongoing thing. Every day, every day, every day, consistently, you go back to the word and keep your mind renewed by the word of God. Now let's talk about weapons to overcome temptation. How can I live this victorious life? What are the things I can do to consistently walk in victory? Number one is the power of the cross. What we must understand is this, that on the cross, Jesus not only paid for our sins, but he broke the power of sin over our lives. He didn't come and say, okay, I'll pay for your sins so that now you can go and no matter how much you sin, uh, it's all been paid for. Keep singing. That's not what he came to do. He did pay for all our sins, but he did more than that. He broke the power of sin over your life and mine. And we must understand that. Romans 6 and verse 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, so that henceforth we no longer serve sin. And verse 14 says, Sin will not have dominion over you, because you're not under the law, but under grace. So here's how you begin. You begin by saying, you know, the power of sin over my life has been broken. Now, I don't know what sinful addiction that might be enslaving you right now. Maybe it's cigarettes. Maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's whatever, you know, immoral fantasies in your mind or whatever thing it is. You begin by saying and acknowledging the power of that sin has been Got to recognize that you are legally set free. 
instant, if you start making excuses, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years. I was born like this. And I make all kinds of excuses. You'll never get out of it. But you've got to say and acknowledge what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. On the cross, the power of sin over my life is broken. I do not look at sin as something I tolerate. I look at sin as an enemy. It has no right over my life. You begin by acknowledging and recognizing the power of the cross. Number two, how do we walk victoriously? It's the power of consecration. The Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, that we have been washed, sanctified, and justified in Christ Jesus. So my sins have been washed away, I've been sanctified, I've been made holy to God. And I've been justified, meaning I'm acquitted in the eyes of God. So God's done that for me in Christ. But now I need, here on earth, I need to live sanctified. And that is possible through consecration. That means I, on purpose, using the power of my will, I say, Lord, I consecrate my mind and my body. I give it as holy unto you. That's the power of consecration. I make a choice to be holy. You know, God will not override your will. God will not force you to be holy. He will enable your will. But it's got to begin with the choice you and I make. So you say, God, I am choosing to get rid of this thing from my life. Now it may not necessarily fall off, but you start with that choice. Because as you choose the right, God empowers you to do the right. So you start with the choice. God, I consecrate my thoughts. I consecrate my imagination. I consecrate my speech. I consecrate my body. I consecrate my sexual appetites. I consecrate whatever, everything in my life. I consecrate. I make them holy unto you. So that's a choice I am making. And I express my choice by the words I say to God and the prayer I make to God. I say, God, I'm consecrating it. It begins with that. As I make that choice, now God begins to empower me and I'm on my way to living victoriously. It begins with that consecration. I choose not to give any place to the devil, but I choose to open up myself to God. Ephesians 4.27 says, give no place to the devil. So that's something I must do, God won't do for me. I say no to sin. I say no to these things. I consecrate my life. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, set your affection on godly things. On things above. So I say, I'm putting my desires on things above. It's consecration. It's a choice I make. So how do I practice this in daily life? There are several ways you and I can practice. Some simple things are stay away. So consecration is stay away. So let's say you're in your office. You're this married man. Now you've become, you know, the manager, the president or whatever, you've been elevated now. You're in your office and there's this woman who casts her eyes on you. I'm putting it in mild terms. Right? But please don't let your imagination run too wild. <laughs> Say the pastor made me sin, you know. Now because this happens. You're in the workplace and you're doing well and so some woman in the office is attracted to you. What must you do? Stay away. Right? That's consecration. 
do what he can do to raise up moral fences and, and keep boundaries. The moment you recognize something is going wrong, stay away. Because if you start playing with fire, you're likely to get burnt. We teach little children that, but big bosses forget. Or they think they can't get burnt until it's too late. Stay away. If you have a problem with pornography online, stay away. So what do you mean? Well, I'm not saying don't use your computer, don't get on the internet. You may need to do it for your work. But if you know that when you're left alone, you tend to go off in that direction, then make sure that whenever you're on, you're on the computer, on the internet, somebody's around you. Or don't be alone on the internet on those moments when you get tended to go in that direction. You've got to stay away. That's consecration in practice. Why aren't you doing that? Because you know that's a point of weakness and therefore you consecrate yourself to God. You move yourself aside to God. Stay away from things. Keep away from obvious areas of temptation. Guard your eyes. Have a self-defense strategy. For example, if you have to travel on business, if you have to travel with a female associate, you need to have a strategy to defend yourself. So what do you mean? I'm a married man. Yeah. But when the moment you leave Bangalore City, what happens? Your wife isn't following you. And if you're traveling with a female associate, you're at risk. Do you have a strategy to defend yourself? Say, no, no, no. She won't do anything. Yeah, that's what you think. And so if you go on this trip without a strategy, you're very vulnerable. And the devil knows your moment of weakness, when to hit And all the sermons you heard on Sunday morning suddenly just disappear. So you've got to have self-different strategies to protect yourself depending on where you work. If you're in college and you know that a certain group of friends are into the wrong things, they are good friends. Maybe you, you, you hang out a lot with them, but you know they are all off in a wrong direction. Then you have to have a strategy. I will not go alone with them because there are five of them and you're alone and they call you to do something wrong, it's very difficult for you to say no. So why expose yourself? Say, okay, I'll be with them maybe in certain places on the soccer field or uh, in the college, but outside of that I will not go. Why? I need to protect myself. It's my self-defense strategy and it's consecration in everyday life. And sometimes you need amputation. That means you need to deal th- with things severely. If this female associate at your workplace is not letting you go, you put up all your fences, but she's breaking all the fences, what do you do? Amputate. Either fire her or you change your job. So what do you mean? I got to go look for a job? Yeah. Why? Because your soul is more important than your money. Amen? Some things you need to amputate. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it's better for you to go into heaven without an eye, you'll get one there, without a limb, than for you to go to hell with an eye or with a limb. He's not talking about literally cutting it, but he's saying you need to deal with things 
anything that's causing you to sin, you need to deal with it in severity. And so even after you have your self-defense strategy, if you're still finding things that are going on wrong, then the next resort, thing that you need to resort to is amputate. Cut it off. It may be painful, but that's what you need to do to protect your heart and your soul. Be extra cautious in moments of vulnerability. In moments of great crisis or great triumph, be on double guard. Number three, use the power of the word of God. Like I was saying earlier, you, need to renew, you and I need to renew our mind with the word. Go to those scriptures in areas where you're fighting temptation. If you're fighting with addictions in your body, like you're drinking, you're smoking, you're still doing drugs or uh, things like that, you begin to read those scriptures. 1 Corinthians 3.17, 1 Corinthians 6.19, my body is the temple of the living God. My body is not for sin. So you begin to meditate in those verses over and over again. If you're, if you're struggling with pornography then, or, or, or looking at women with lustful eyes, then you go to those scriptures like Proverbs 6.25 or Proverbs 31 verse 3 or Matthew 5, 27, where the Bible says, you know, with your, uh, do not look upon a woman with lustful eyes. You go meditate in that word. You read that word maybe three times a day. Uh, you, you need to do that because that word will cleanse your mind. That word will break down strongholds in your mind. That word was like fire. It will burn up all the evil and godly desires. But you need to, on purpose, expose yourself to that word. If you've got a bad temper, then go to the word. In James chapter 1, it says, The wrath of man does not do the will of God, uh, do the pleasure of God, the will of God. Go meditate in those scriptures that talk about being self-controlled, that talk about issues like your temper. Whatever the issues are that you're struggling with, whatever the sins that you're struggling with, you need to go to that word, meditate in that word, put it in your mind over and over and over again until that word will cleanse you. Amen? So pastor, that's a lot of work. But if you're fighting some deadly disease in your body and the doctor gives you some prescription, wouldn't you follow it? If he sends you through a battery of tests and even puts you on the operating table, wouldn't you go there? But why can't you do this for your soul, which is eternal? Amen? So you take the time. To get that word because it's the word of God that empowers you. Psalm 17 verse 4. The psalmist says, by the words of your mouth, I have preserved myself from the paths of the destroyer. Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to your word. How can you clean up things in your life? By taking heed to the word. You got to take the soap and apply it to wash yourself. Number four, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings us and empowers our self-control, our self-governing ability. One of the produce of the Spirit, or fruit of the Spirit in our lives, is self-control, the ability to govern ourselves. 2 Timothy 1.7 talks about the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of power, love, and of self-control. So He empowers our ability To govern our bodies. He empowers and he gives us the strength we need to say no to the ungodly desires. So what do you do? Say, Holy Spirit, come help me. Ask him. He's your strengthener. And just be honest with him. Say, Holy Spirit, I'm struggling with this area. Help me to crucify this ungodly desire. And Romans 8 and verse 13 says, If you by the Spirit crucify the sinful deeds of your body, you will live. 
So you pray and say, Holy Spirit, help me. At the moment of temptation, the Spirit of God is with you there. So just ask Him, Holy Spirit, give me the strength to say no. As you keep drawing on the strength of the Holy Spirit, He empowers your will to resist and to overcome. Number five is the power of prayer. In those moments of prayer is when God can cause our will to be aligned to His will. Maybe you're struggling in a certain area. So you go to God in prayer. Say, God, I'm struggling in this area. Help me align my will to your will. Go pray. Pray as long as you need to. Continue in prayer. Say, God, help me. And you'll find that as you pray and draw on strength from the Lord in prayer, you'll come out a changed person. You'll come out willing to say no to what you once normally would say yes to. Jesus did that very same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he prayed there, he said, Father, if it's, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And then he tried to get his disciples to pray. So he goes and tells them in Matthew 26, he says, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, there's nothing wrong on the inside. You're a good person. The spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. So what do you need to do? Watch and pray. Be careful. Continue in prayer. Be watchful. In those moments when you think the enemy is attacking. In the moments when you think that temptations are coming on you. Closing in on you. Watch. Recognize. Hey, I'm in a moment right now. But things are happening that I could fall into. And you recognize that moment. What do you do? Move yourself into the closet. Watch and pray. That you do not fall into temptation. Two more things, we close. Power of declaration. Our words are powerful, as we've tried to emphasize over and over again. Your words are powerful. And the words of faith, the words that we declare concerning what the, from the word of God is our weapon against the enemy. So when the devil comes in with his thought, you speak the word concerning directly against that thought. Now it's not in the volume of your voice. The power is not in the volume of your voice. But the power is in the fact, is in that word that you have spoken. Amen? So you speak that word. You can even whisper that word. You don't have to shout and scream. So let's say you're, you're, you know, you're walking down this, the road and you see this beautiful girl and the thought comes, whoa, she's so nice. Now that's nice. You know, you stop there, that's fine. You're appreciating beauty. That's good. But anything beyond that can lead you into sin. So the moment the thought progresses beyond that point, speak the word. The word says, lust not after her beauty in your heart. Neither let her take you with her eyelids. Speak the word. I have made a covenant with my eyes. So I will not think, I will not think wrongfully about another woman. Speak the word. What happens? That word is your double-edged sword against the enemy. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 18, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Speak that word. You're about in your office. There's a lot of pressure. Your boss is telling you to do something wrong. You're about to yield to him, do something wrong. Maybe you know, in your accounts you change something or in your reports you change something. Your boss is pressuring you to do something. 
at that moment, say no. The Bible says, he who walks with integrity walks securely. So I'm going to walk with integrity. You speak that word. You need to speak it. That spoken word is like you releasing a double-edged sword against, that, against the thoughts of the enemy. A thought will come say, oh, you're going to lose your job. You're going to be jobless for the next three months. You speak the word. No, it is the Lord my God who gives me the power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant that he spoke to me. The Lord will bless me in all the works of my hands. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in want. You speak those words. Because the devil can come with intimidation. He can come with all kinds of th- things in your mind to, uh, to cause you, put you in fear and do, cause you to do the wrong thing. Or you lose your job, you'll be jobless, you'll be homeless, you'll be foodless, whatever. No, speak the word. That spoken word is your weapon against the enemy. And the number number seven is the power of positive influence. You need to hang hang around people who will lift you up, not cause you to go lower in your spiritual life. Always have a few people around you who will spur you to higher levels in God. You know, it's just normal tendency that we people, as people, we always go down to our lowest common denominator. So even in a group of people, with, if you have five people, and maybe three are really trying to walk with God, but there are two people who don't really care, and you're all hanging out together, associating, what's going to happen to the three? They're all going to come down to the level of the two. It's just normal. Unless the two are serious and coming up to the level of the three. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33, Don't be foolish. Evil company will corrupt good manners or good habits. The company you keep, the influence you permit on your life is going to pull you down or lift you up. I encourage you to have people around you who lift you up to higher levels in your walk with God. So you look at your friend's who are not saved, you look at your friends who are saved because both are having influence on your life. For those who are not, for friends who are not saved, it doesn't mean we distance ourselves from them or dissociate completely from them, but we are careful not to permit them to have influence upon our lives beyond what they should have. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Don't go up there and have fellowship, expose them. But on the other hand, in 1 Corinthians 5.11, is a very strong word from Paul. He says, if there is anyone among you who walks disorderly, then don't have company, company with him. That's a strong word. He's talking to believers. So, surround yourself with men and women who will lift you up, who will challenge you to walk in holiness, rather than who will say, you know, it's okay. Who will say, it's okay. Half people will say, it's not okay. Have people who will say, you know, you're not walking the way you should. Have people who will say, you know, that's not acceptable. There are higher levels and higher standards. Because they mean well for you. They want you to rise up. Amen? So, here's our strategy. And I want to challenge each one of us. Listen, we're all going to face temptation, but God has given us the means to overcome. Amen? And all of us can live victoriously in our Christian life. Amen. It's fine. Take a few moments, please, to just tell God, Lord, I want to walk in victory. 
I want to take these weapons and walk victoriously. Now, it's possible that there isn't anything troubling you right now, that uh, everything is fine, your life is in order, and that's great. But the Bible also says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So you begin to examine your own life and say, maybe I need to put up some strategies of defense in my life. I need to have some moral fences around me just to protect me. Uh, Maybe you're in Uh, You've moved out from college into the workplace. Maybe you are in college and you've gone to a new college. You have a new circle of friends. You need to be on guard. So you just say, God, what should I do to make sure I have fences around me that will help me walk holy? Maybe you've shifted jobs. You're in a new workplace environment and you don't know the people around. So you say, God, what should I do here? What are the challenges I might face in this place? And what are the fences I can put up, Lord, to make sure I walk holy before you? So I want you to take this time just to interact with God. Just make this a moment of uh, prayer before God. Perhaps you're bound in sin. There are things that have enslaved you. And and, uh, we're going to pray and ask the Lord to break those chains off and set the captives free. It's not normal to be in bondage. It's normal to be in liberty. It's not normal to be enslaved. God wants you to walk as a free man and a woman in Christ. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.